Hello, and welcome. My name is Tim. I'm Axial. I'm Herfy Durfy. And this is Go Mode, a link to the past randomizer podcast. We've got a real nice episode for you this time. Uh, we just finished recording our interview with our special guest today, Adirondack Rick. And uh, I think you guys are really going to like it. Yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's been going on with you guys? We, we got straight into the interview that we just had. And you know what? I didn't even didn't even ask how you guys are doing. Uh, I do know how Herf is doing to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. <it's>, uh, <laughs> because he told me a little bit. It's, but. it's almost public knowledge. I'm, I mean, generally, I'm fine. I uh, Last week, Saturday, I tried carrying a washing machine. And instead of carrying it, I decided that it'd be a better idea to slip. And while <laughs> slipping, I cut open my right thumb, which now has uh, six stitches in it to hold it together, kind of. And uh, a big old bandage wrapped around it, uh, and it's very, very inconveniencing. Your button's thumb. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the bad thumb. No more A, B, X, Y for me. Yeah, yikes. Oh, man. Uh, and, and Herf actually did post a picture after this happened, and it's one of those situations where it's completely wrapped in bandages, but then there's even, like, some blood on those fresh new bandages, and it's just like, oh, man, <laughs> yeah. it looks rough. It looks real it rough. It was pretty so. gruesome. The the one positive thing about all of this is uh, I'm left-handed, so at least uh, it was oh, the thumb. that. Yeah. There you go. Learn something wow. new about me every three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 legitimately cool, though. It's but yeah, that's that's working. like the only upside to all of this. That at least my dominant hand is not the one that's damaged. But still, you wouldn't believe how much you know a right thumb is actually useful in everyday life. <laughs> yeah, that is lucky that you're left-handed and that happened to your right hand. Um, all right. Well, we have some news to go over. Really just want to get to this interview for you. So we'll, we'll go quickly through this. The main thing, as I'm sure you are all uh, quite aware of at this point, Go Mode Podcast Mentor Tournament has been going on for several months. It has finally concluded. So uh, I guess we can say at this point, we pulled it off. We ran a tournament, boys. We didn't do it alone. We had a lot of help, but we, we did it. Um, so obviously a huge, huge congratulations to our winner. And uh, scroll ahead a little bit if you still haven't seen, but our winner was Bum Rush Blitz, uh, and they were mentored in the final two games by Dante. So huge congratulations to them. We will uh, have them on next episode. Um, we already sort of were in planning mode for this one. Um, kind of had everything booked up, uh, but we want to give them their due time. So we are going to work out. Um, uh, try to work out to, to get them, you know, added to uh, and have them on the next episode. And then our mentor with the most wins was Cassidy Moen. So uh, same thing. We'll be reaching out to them to have them on. Um, but super, super GG to our winners. And also huge shout outs to our runner up Elias and their mentor Chizame. Um, both uh, played absolutely beautifully. Um, so again, we are going to really dive into like the postmortem, um, talk a lot about the mentor tournament wrap up. Um, we have some, some fetch questions about it. We want to get some racer mentor feedback, share some of that on the show. So give us another couple weeks. Um, we'll do our final coverage on the first go mode podcast mentor tournament and, uh, you know, really give that it's, it's final kind of due time that it needs. But, um, just briefly, do either of you have any sort of things that you would you would like to say here before our our final dive in next week or two weeks from now 
Uh, other than thanks everybody who participated, uh, I want to save it all for next week. Excellent. Yeah, I I think what I want to say is something that I said on uh, a previous episode, but I just want to a congratulate you guys again and b say that you did a terrific job running this tournament. As I said before, I've been pretty hands off with most of it, and most of the time I wasn't around just because of the U.S. times that things were happening at where I was sound asleep in my cuddly bed. But uh, I think you did a tremendous job. You pulled it off very nicely, and. Uh, yeah, all the props to you two guys. Excellent. Yeah, we'll we'll get into this more. The, all the many thank yous and, and mm-hmm. highlights and all that. So, uh, for now, let's leave that and uh, let's move on to our next little piece of news here. Um, the Speed Gaming Live 2019 uh, li- Speed Gaming Live 2019 seeding tournament is still underway. Those qualifiers are in full force right now. Um, let's take a brief moment. I just dropped the uh, document in our in our Discord here. Let's take a look at how things are going so far and uh, see what what we're working with here. There's been some shakeups since the last uh, check in here. We've some, done some big shakeups. Um, yeah. Now uh, a lot of the uh, the folks have uh, four or even five races done, and uh, there do looks there do look to be some uh, some kind of uh, surprising seedings that will come out of this. Um, I'm just looking here real quick, and uh, Andy isn't even in the top 15. Um, you've got some uh, some newer runners uh, that are up there in the top 10. So I think it's going to be a, a, a pretty interesting field. Yeah. Now, uh, I did confirm only the top three seated here will receive some level of compensation for their travel. Yes. Um, so that's really kind of what people are, are really fighting for here is that top three, um, which is to say, like, if you're on the bubble, like right now, as as of this recording date, which is August 24th, Weighty Words is is ranked number four, um, not too far behind Aster, um, who is uh, currently num- in third. So, uh, yeah, that's that's like that's where the real drama happens, I think, between the third and fourth, because that's that's a huge difference of, you know compensation versus no on trying to get there right and Azder already has finished five races uh the two yeah. in front uh, shady force and uh, act the boker uh only have three so those might actually be more likely to move around than Azder is yeah now another interesting uh development here is uh it looks like andy might be human um because we had mentioned you know he he obviously dominates all kinds of tournaments that we've covered in the past. That's no secret. Uh, last time we checked in, he was in the top three. Uh, now we look in, he has completed his five races, and he's currently sitting at 17th, which is surprising. Very surprising. Um, so definitely uh, looking forward yeah. to kind of seeing. He, he actually yeah. is guaranteed to not be in the top three. Yeah, yeah, it, it's statistically impossible, you know, since he has finished all of his races. Yeah, he's, um, he's behind... At least uh, three or four other people who finished five races. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I don't think that means he's bad by any means. You know, the same way that we will praise him and lift him up when he does great, I think we also are obligated to take a look at when he when he doesn't. You know, rise to the occasion, and this is one of those times, one of those few rare times, I should say. But yeah. here we are. Um, yeah. yeah, looking for other kind of notable folks. Uh, you know, Dwayne uh, who you know, we had on a few weeks ago is sitting uh, right out of the top 10. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have got uh, Cassidy Moen, our, uh, our actually most uh, frequent uh, 
mentor in the mentor, mentor. tournament uh, sitting mm-hmm. uh, right on the bubble, uh, the third, the number 30 bubble at 32 right now. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, there's there's a lot of folks out there who are, uh, are still playing. So this still is uh, probably going to change a bit, but uh, a pretty, uh, I, I think a nice mix of kind of old hands and some uh, some new blood. Yeah, and as you look through this list, there's tons of recognizable names from the Mentor Tournament, uh, from, you know, races that are on YouTube, from uh, one of our question askers is in there, you know, so like all kinds of people from the community all over are, uh, you know, participating in that. So it's cool to kind of see how how things are shaking out. Um, I have to admit, I was planning on participating and I just have not been able to make any of the qualifiers and now I fear it might be too late. So I do regret that a little bit, but I also think it would be good when I do go to Speed Gaming Live to just really focus on supporting everyone and trying to cover things and meet people and not worry so much about, you know, practicing and running and because I mean, like it would be fun, but I, I don't have any illusions about like how I might place, you know, when it when it gets that serious and it's in person. So, to be very honest with you, I'm actually a little bit more uh, prepping up and looking forward to the Mario Maker Two tournament, which I'm going to compete in. Yeah. I think I might actually do decently in that. I'm, I'm not a bad Mario player, believe it or not. So, we'll see. We'll see. Um, any final thoughts on this? Um, other than uh, you know. Good luck to everybody who's uh, still got games to go, and uh, we'll uh, keep an eye out as things develop. I uh, just yeah. wanted to really quickly mention that the qualifiers that we're playing currently for the SG Live tournament are not a requirement to be able to participate in the tournament uh, on site. You can just walk in, and if there's still spots left in the tournament, you can just participate. The only downside you'll have is is that your seating will obviously be zero, so you'll be seated at the lowest possible position. That's true. Maybe I should just do that. Maybe I should just do so, it. Yeah, I'll, think about it. I'll think about it. You, think you about get to it. play uh, you know, one of the, the, the top folks right off the bat and see if you can get a big upset. <laughs> if, if anything, just for the, the journalistic like experience to just <laughs> talk about and be like, yeah, I was on the stage and I got streamed in front of 2,000 people and I got my ass kicked. I don't know. It could, maybe, maybe it could be a good, good story. maybe yeah we'll see i'll I'll think about it um next up i did want to touch on our racing council Uh, earlier i mentioned or in the last episode i mentioned that they'd just been formed but they hadn't really done anything there actually was one small thing that they did that i did want to just quickly mention just for the sake of you know talking about it because we try to be thorough here on this show they did actually ban a member of the community for ban evasion on august 5th and they made a little sort of announcement in the uh randomizer announcement discord about that so um it, it was inaccurate to say they hadn't done anything they actually have taken some action even though it was pretty minor um apparently this is like a, a problem you know something that pops up you know we don't want to get too much into but they did it they have technically taken some action so <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the Racing Council, just get, getting it done, uh, already hitting the ground run, and I think that's pretty cool. By the way, I did want to also say about the Racing Council, um, after our last episode wrapped, I created a new page on the Go Mode Podcast website that has a running list of all of, actually 17, I said 20 before, 17 members of the Racing Council. When, when you look at this page, you can see the three captains, Dwayne, Error, and Corrick. Um, so two of those uh, we've had on the show and then the others are listed and I went ahead and linked all of their twitches in case you want to go watch them play rando or 
um, send them a message. So uh, I'm going to try to keep that updated. If there's ever a change to the roster, you know, shoot me an email, let me know, and I'll, I'll try to keep this page updated. But I just noticed that when you go to Google and search ALTTPR Racing Council, there was nothing. And now there's this. So people will know who, who's on the council. So um, just wanted to mention that. They are doing their jobs. Any thoughts? No, not really. Yeah, pretty pretty straightforward. Yep, they, they, they're doing their stuff. They're doing good. Yeah. So speaking of kind of looking into one one small part of the community, uh, Axe actually brought this uh, to to my attention. I wasn't aware of it. There's there's been some trouble with Emo Tracker, which a lot of people use um, when they play Randomizer. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Axe? Yeah. So um, so just the background. So you know, Emosaru is the developer, and uh, she put out some pings in the Discord server about it, and uh, apparently there was a amazon web services issue where um you know the the whole thing has kind of this this really slick back end where stuff gets kind of updated and you don't have to do very much but the certificates apparently expired uh unexpectedly and early and so uh, she kind of had to put out a emergency patch to update everything and redo the certificates um so if you are an emo tracker user and uh you haven't updated it you uh, should do that because apparently there's uh, an issue with the old version where it won't work anymore. So that's uh, that's the news from there. Yeah, that was a bummer. Shoutouts to Emo, Emo Seru for jumping on that, though, and um, you know putting out that patch so quickly, making sure people could use it. Um, yeah, as I said, a lot of people rely on Emo Tracker. It seems to be sort of the favorite tracker for randomizer, um, not just Link to the Past, but, but actually a lot of different randomizers. So... Um, definitely was important to get that taken care of and it sounds like she she was all over it so that's definitely that's definitely good um hopefully no more trouble comes of that hopefully that's that was just like a little blip and it's all taken care of it, she made it sound like it, it was kind of permanently fixed um, good. but you know that's uh that's the software development for y'all <laughs> yeah it's always something Cool. Okay. Well, that's it for news, actually. Um, pretty pretty short. But uh, let's quickly, um, is there anything you guys want to say to set up this interview that we're about to hear with Adirondack Rick? Okay. Well, here's the interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I did want to say, um, I, I, we do mention it eventually in the interview, but I, I wanted to kind of make a, a disclaimer um, Herfy Durfee was a commentary admin um, when we first started this podcast. So what the spring twenty or the fall twenty eighteen mm-hmm. tournament? No, it was the spring twenty eighteen tournament. You were yeah, you uh, were commentary was a, a commentary mod. Yeah, commentary mod. Yes, mod, thank you. Yeah. I keep saying admin. You were a commentary mod. Now you are a tournament admin. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times you'll say like we or you'll go off kind of you'll start talking and the reason is your herf is talking from a place of, of quite a bit of experience so um, that I, I did want to mention that and then of course Rick has has a lot of experience that, that we talk about pretty much right away so just wanted to set that up I'm really looking uh, forward to uh, playing this for you guys I think it was a really great interview um, so yeah without any further ado let's let's take a listen Okay, so for our feature this time, um, we're actually going to start with a fetch question. A little bit unorthodox, but um, we have this fetch question that we received in our Discord from Space Poet, and it reads as follows. Hey, Tim, I've been grinding out Go Mode Podcast for the past month to catch up to where you guys are currently, and I finally caught up last night. 
I wanted to say thanks for all the great info, which has been invaluable to learn learning Rando very quickly. After watching lots of games, playing a ton of Z3R Sim, and absorbing the entire podcast, I was able to go from my first seed being around 4.10 down to 2.15 four seeds later. So thanks. My question for you is, what is the best way to get into commentary for races? It's something I've been very interested in since discovering Rando, and I think it's a good fit for someone like me who isn't the best at perfect execution, but loves to learn about Rando and its various intricacies. I wanted to know if you guys would be open to giving first-time casters like myself a shot at commentary during the Mentor Tournament or in the future to give them the same kind of experience that the runners are getting in the tournament. Thanks again, and that was from Space Poet. And they also said, P.S., my thanks and appreciation is towards the entire Go Mode crew. Well, first of all, Space Poet, thanks so much for reaching out to us. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. That's really incredible that you were able to reduce your time that much. Um, now, as far as the commentary, um, we thought that was a good question, and it was something we'd actually been planning on doing for a while, is having an episode talking just about commentary. And uh, in order to do that, we needed to bring in a guest um, who had you know, some experience in this, in this realm. And so we asked Adirondack Rick to join us, and, and we have him here now. Adirondack Rick, hello. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, is it all right if I just call you Rick? That's absolutely fine. <laughs> okay, cool. So, uh, Rick, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your history with Rando, and um, just sort of with uh, broadcast in general? Because you do have a background in broadcast, correct? Uh, that's correct. Uh, first, in regards to the Rando, I've been doing uh, Link to the Past Randomizer since uh, the announcement of the original tournament 2017. Uh, before that, I was more doing Zelda 1 Randomizer and uh, participating in their tournaments as well. Uh, my first, I'll get into my first rando commentary in just a few moments, but as you did mention, I do have a sports background and it stems from my college days when I actually did some of the local college athletics, uh, for our college radio station, uh, did some hockey, did some basketball. That's what really started to fuel what has become of me. Uh, back in 2009, 2010. Uh, 2012, I started doing high school stuff for a local station around here. Uh, that transcribed into doing stuff for video game commentary, which uh, was what we're more familiar with. And that started out in about 2015 with our first uh, Zelda 1 Any% percent tournament. And then it became Randomizer in 2016, uh, Link to the Past Randomizer 2017. So, yeah, I've been a few games so uh yeah um a little bit now i want to speak a little bit to the history of of uh you know broadcast and and rando and, and the you know the commentary uh scene um can, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the early days well as far as we were concerned with uh zelda one and zelda one randomizer back in the early days uh, before there was a thing called speed gaming and the speed gaming networks or randomania or the link to the past randomizer channels uh things were done on uh individuals uh own channels like i remember for zelda one randomizer jam eviler was quite the beast restreaming most of the matches that were going on there uh, so, for the history in regards to a lot of commentary for that, uh, you'd have to look back at individual channels, and certain games, certain communities still have that going on these days. They don't have, uh, like, a speed gaming to turn to and things like that. Uh, so, my first initial showcase of uh, 
video game commentary came, as I was mentioning before, the DeSelda 1 tournament in 2015, uh, where, like I said, it was on individual channels. We would just have to pull up... Back then, we had to pull up VLC players and try to make sure that we were being on the same track. I'll get to some personal stories about that a little bit later on because you want to get into some of the highlights of uh, and some of the lowlights and things like that a little bit later <laughs> on. Yeah. But for me, I think we also have to date back to that great Super Metroid run in 2014 at Austin Games Done Quick where Sinister One was one of the players that were, were one of the uh, commentary. And the way that that race was going, it was kind of... Uh, that was my first real look at a actual race commentary. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that one because that, that had a huge impact on me too. It is yeah, that a, was really, a really, really race. good race. And especially the commentary was top-notch. I think, as you say, Rick, it, it kind of unheard of and unseen before you know you've had your commentaries for various races and things on twitch obviously but uh, sinister one really pulled out like another another step of quality and like being informative and fun to listen to you know it wasn't just like listening to a presentation or something where you're falling asleep half an hour later you kept it engaging I think that one had the perfect storm because you had Sinister One on the couch. You had Spike Vegeta doing the hosting donations and keeping people in tune with the whole save and kill the animals uh, mm -hmm. donation incentive there. So it was the perfect storm of two really good people at what they do. Obviously, Sinister One has quite the voice and quite the carry. And Spike Vegeta, well, what can we say about Spike Vegeta? Yeah, that's He's like very charisma true. incarnate. Yeah. He's a fun guy. Yeah. All right, I mean, so he oh, being sorry. an actor definitely helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. All right, so uh, going from kind of uh, the history and your personal history a little bit in in broadcasting and rando in its different forms, starting with uh, Zelda One randomizer. Uh, let's move into kind of how we do it these days and how the restreams usually work and uh, you know commentary how how that's done today. I think with as you were mentioning earlier with the the advent of speed gaming and the speed gaming network and especially Fiesel programming all the backends and all the crazy stuff that he's done over the years, uh, he's really streamlined the process and made it a lot easier for people new to the whole thing to you know be able to jump in and not be overwhelmed with where do I watch the stream? How much delay do I have to watch out for? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. As I was mentioning earlier, one of the earliest things was you had to pull up two VLC windows and you had somebody talking in the background to you, telling you when they were on sync because they're giving you a timer rundown. And that was the only real way you were going to get yourself in sync with the the uh, race when you were doing it on somebody else's stream. And then comes speed gaming. And our first instance of using speed gaming was uh, 2016 during the Zelda 1 randomizer tournament. And, you know, we had an RMTP player. And it was like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about syncing up two streams at the same time. That's nice. And that definitely made things a whole lot easier. You could just watch it side by side in one browser window as opposed to having to have another program open at the same time. And back that day, that was when my computer was deciding, no, uh, you got too many things open. Yeah, definitely. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> so uh, talking about some of the early pioneers of restreaming here with SG and especially ALTTPR restreaming. 
Uh, we do have a few links here that I'm sure Tim will put in the episode description. Uh, the first commentated ALTTPR race that we could find on YouTube was, uh, of course, an Andy versus Christus Owens race, uh, commentated by both Carcat and Vitor, two of the main devs of the randomizer. Um, it was from March 25th, 2017, so I think that might have been... Was it already in the tournament time frame, or was it before the tournament? It was just before the tournament began, because I think that was just, uh, uh, like, maybe days before the first tournament closed, mm -hmm. registration. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why it's a showcase race. So they were showcasing what the tournament that's, like, about to start is going to be about. So that was that was the earliest that we could find on YouTube, at least. I'm sure on Twitch somewhere deep in the archives there might be older ones, but God knows. I mean, that seems like a pretty good candidate for a first one. That's like all the legends right there, you know, getting together. Um, Rick, do you happen to know whose idea it was to put something like that together, like that race and, and sort of explainer video? Uh, for that, I think the at that time, the tournament admins wanted to have something, and probably Fiesel also had the idea of, let's showcase what this thing does. So people, we I mean, we got a big tournament here. And at that point in time, 105 entrants was unheard of for a tournament yeah. of that nature. Because uh, up to then, you probably were lucky if you even got past 30, 40 registrants. And here, this one pulled in 105. So they wanted to showcase what was coming up. And obviously, you get two of the uh, better runners of the game, Andy Christos. And you get the two devs to talk about what exactly is going on. And... It showcases what's about to come up over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks, or the next couple of months, rather, uh, as we get through the uh, tournament. That, myself, would be probably the first w showcase that we had if, uh, that uh, was out there on the internet. I, Like you said, there's probably something that predates that, but that, like I said, that, that was just as the tournament was closing up. They want to show people what's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, all right, so now that we've kind of, you know, explained the history, we've kind of uh, explained how things work nowadays, more or less, especially if you're going to be commentating something that's going to be restreamed on one of the SG channels. Um, let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit. Uh, in our little outline here, we're starting out with tech considerations. So I think that's sort of an important point, uh, but not the most important point, at least to I, me personally. I don't think you should let it stop you. If if you if this is something you really want to do, mm -hmm. you know, any old microphone will work. A rock band microphone will probably work. I'm pretty sure that's what I I did my first few commentary matches with, <laughs> and it, it was fine. It's not great, but it's, it was fine. You know. Yeah, I mean, if you know the quality of your sound doesn't necessarily equal the quality of your commentary, so that's an important consideration to make. If you have a great sounding microphone, but your commentary is awful for one reason or another people are not going to want to listen to you but if your oh, microphone yeah, if sounds a little crackly and terrible but you're talking good stuff then people will still enjoy your commentary oh absolutely if you have a microphone that is uh, crackling because you've hit, reached what is called the sound pressure level which is the most amount of sound that you could put through a microphone people aren't going to really be listening because you keep maxing that thing out and it sounds crackly it sounds distorted and you can definitely tell if somebody's got like a very, very cheap microphone based on how much they're uh, hitting that level. 
I think one of the people I'm going to bring up here is uh, somebody who is a commentator in the Zelda 1 randomizer community. I'm not going to name the name, actually, but there's a big difference when you heard him on his own home microphone compared to the professional stuff uh, when he was uh, doing stuff over at Awesome Games Done Quick and Summer Games Done Quick. There's like a big difference, and that shows you basically how a good microphone can uh, help you sound better. Now... That doesn't mean you go out there and buy like a $300 microphone, break the bank on it, but there's a difference between having like a $40 microphone, a $50 microphone, and having that $20 brand microphone that is sold in the office equipment department of a department store. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, is there a, a mic for anybody who was kind of, you know, totally no, just trying to get into things and making sure that they don't have a crappy mic that you would recommend they uh, they take a look at? I think personally, if you want to really do this and your microphone sounding bleh, you, you start looking at like the $40, $50 snowballs and things like that nature. Uh, maybe go up a step above the $30 headset microphone. I could, I could, I mean, I could be talking to you guys in the headset bike right now. But you guys are going to notice it. The audio quality isn't quite there. It takes away some of the lows and the highs of your voice. And it definitely is noticeable. But it is still acceptable. Uh, like I said, if you start going down to like the $10, $15 microphones, and I'm talking U.S. dollars just for anybody listening, uh, since uh, there's a difference in price uh, as you go across the world. But if you get down to that level you're going to get what you paid for yeah now also related to like tech and audio setup there are a few other things that i think are, are really easily avoidable that maybe just some people don't think about um one is uh so, so rando is exciting right like a lot of really exciting stuff happens um if you are like yelping out because you just saw that like the hammer's on pet or something like that Usually, like in in like a speed gaming like uh, stream of this, you will start seeing in chat people be like, "Ow, my ears!" Headphone <laughs> alert! Thanks a lot. Like really, yeah, that, that's something that you really want to be careful of is control of your voice um, during these because there are a lot of people wearing headphones and you don't want to hurt them. Um, oh, yeah. Just getting to one of the stories that I've had. Uh, one of the infamous times is when I went completely crazy because the bow turned out to be on the pedestal. And I believe this was in a key Saturday tournament uh, that we had uh, last year. And if it wasn't that, then it was like the the following tournament. But it's, uh, yeah, you get a little too excited and you're like, oh my god! And then all of a sudden... <laughs> Yeah, you just realize that you pretty much just screeched it. You blew your, as I said before, the thing called the sound pressure level, and it came out all distorted, and you get the uh, what faces in chat, and the owls, the dance gaming, and the other various emotes that to kind of showcase that people kind of Maybe didn't appreciate uh, that. are in yeah. pain because of what you just said. Yeah. Um, and then another one that I hear sometimes, it's it's frustrating because it's like the commentary level could be great, their voice level could be great, but when you're using push-to-talk, which you normally do for commentary situations, they let go of the button just a little too early, and then they start getting the last little bit of what they're saying cut off. 
that's something that you really should be listening to your commentary back. That's going to be something I'll get back to in a little bit. But that's one of those things that when you listen to your commentary back, you will hear that and then you will understand that you probably should be holding down onto the button a little bit longer because for that reason right there, because sometimes your thoughts <laughs> can get cut off. Like you could just be mentioning that uh, XYZ just picked up the... Yeah, okay. yeah. Can, the most important part. Back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is frustrating. Yeah, I have a uh, a buddy I play Dungeons and Dragons with uh, remotely, and he does that all the time. And despite us trying to tell him, he uh, has not picked up on it yet. Yeah, it's amazing how often the last word in the sentence is the most crucial one. Mm-hmm. It really is, and you know, push to talk is the best thing that you want to try to do because the other half of the spectrum is is you don't want everything that is going out of your mouth or going on in the background. Uh, to go out over the air, like all of a sudden you might feel a sneeze coming on, you might have a yawn coming up, and those are things that you really don't want to subject your listeners to, so that's the case why you want to use push to talk when you're doing this in a live commentary form. Think of it as your mute button for a moment there. It's certainly helpful. I will here and now admit to commentating a match while enjoying a delicious uh, salami pizza and push to talk (laughs) save my butt. I don't think anyone noticed. Salami pizza? Is that a German thing? That's probably a German thing. You can imagine it uh, as a pepperoni pizza, I would assume. Okay. Yeah, we can get into salami pizzas at some other point in time. Some other time, yeah. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's move on here from all the technical stuff that we were talking about to actually... What makes good commentary? What do you need to do? What shouldn't you do? You know, all the nitty gritty of actually doing commentary. So I think a good starting point is what is your goal as a commentator? And I think, Rick, that's really, you know, not only one of your fortes, but you have a very unique perspective on this. Uh, Since you're not only doing rando commentary, but as you said earlier, you're also doing sports commentary. So I think, you know... There's different approaches, but probably also a lot of common things that, you know, the two have in common. Well, the idea kind of is you want to get people wrapped up into the race. Why should they continue to listen? Why should they feel so hard to pull away from what's going on that screen? Which is why my style kind of is more of the dramatic form. I want to keep people interested. I want to keep people invested in this race. I want to kind of get people to think if i turn away right now we may be missing out on something big that may just be happening soon and that's one style of commentary there's gonna be a whole different kind of styles of commentary out there but my philosophy is is try to keep them invested in the race throw a little bit of drama into it keep them entertained as you mentioned keep them entertained because if you don't sound interested in the race if you don't sound excited for the race if you don't sound invested yourself it's going to carry to uh how people are listening to the race itself and they may decide no it's not worth my time bye because sounding like this as somebody just picked up the bow for go mode is going to be so uninterested so unexciting i'm so invested in this race i want to really listen to hear how this race as a side-by-side as these two runners are in ganon's tower goes (laughs) and you, you can see how i sound at that point so that transcribes into why people wouldn't want to listen to that Mm hmm. yeah 
You ever see a, an issue where people kind of go too far in the other direction, where they're kind of, you know, everything is the, the most exciting thing in the seed, oh, and yeah. that ends up exhausting the audience? Oh, yeah. There, there's a thing as overhype. Oh, my God! He just found 20 rupees! <laughs> Big deal. Uh, I think uh, we, we all have, uh, have our examples of past broadcasts that we've all watched, and we're like, oh, boy, where, where is this going? Yeah, kind of overdoing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to overdo it. So it, it does take a little bit of a careful how much is too excited, how much is underexcited. Like if you well, have think... somebody screaming at you because they just found the shovel in the mm-hmm. big chest of pendant. Palace of Darkness, and that shovel turns into absolutely nothing because the other person had already found their go mode. Mm -hmm. Big deal. Well, I think another way you could phrase that is it's sort of, it's it's about providing context. You know, it's not just about always being excited, but it's like, why is that a big deal? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely Uh, something else I want to get into. It's, uh, I think, you know, from from the top of my head, sort of, a couple of important basic points that you should remember if you're commentating a link to the past randomizer races you want to as tempest put down here you want to explain the significance of the event that you just witnessed you know you don't just want to yell about the bow the guy just found without explaining why that's a good thing or why it's significant that it was in this location um, you want to keep people interested, as Rick said, you definitely, you know, there's always going to be downtimes where one player just retreads the step of the other player because they're, you know, that one guy did Ice Palace first and then Pod, and they, the other guy did Pod first and then Ice Palace, and suddenly you're in a situation where you know exactly what's going to come up in the next 15 to 20 minutes without anything exciting happening, probably. So, you know, that's where a commentator really needs to shine to keep the people engaged, to keep things interesting, to, you know, just not make people tune out and be like, wow, this is boring. I have a question for uh, Rick and and Herf and Axial, for for that matter. Um, How much do you guys assume of the audience? Um, Because we have, uh, you know, one of the reasons to start this podcast that we try to you know, we try to be able to speak to a wide range of very new players that know almost nothing and really experienced players that, that know just about everything. So where do you guys try to land uh, on, you know, how, how you how you handle that? Let's start with, with Rick. How do you approach that? I think it's situational. Like if you're turning into a tournament race and you're halfway into the tournament, you have to assume that the good fraction of the audience has at least been up to date with what's going on but there like i said there's certain circumstances that can really change how you plan things out like for instance if you are in the middle of something that gets uh, front page exposure so you've got a thousand of uh, people who may have never seen this before you you've got to start kind of altering it to be a little bit more newer friendly so you kind of explain more of what's going on it's situational but i think when you start off a tournament, that's kind of the best point where you start really telling people exactly what's going on, what's maybe different in this tournament, what might be different that you're seeing on your screen. Kind of help ease 
both the veteran viewers and the new viewers to at least some sort of understanding. Because here's the other aspect of this. If they don't understand what's going on on the screen, that's also part of that invested part. They're not going to be invested. They're going to go away. Mm-hmm. Herf, what, how, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, I mostly agree with what Rick said. I think it's very situational. As you said, if you're in a tournament and it's been going for a while and you're like starting to reach the end of the group stage or the start of the quarterfinals or whatever, you kind of assume that people have at least a basic understanding of most of the stuff. They know what a Ice Palace bomb jump is. They know what the significance of something being on the pedestal is. They know, you know, you don't need to pick up the pendants. You just need the crystals in theory and all that stuff. But uh, I personally think maybe to a fault, I assume usually quite a bit from the viewers. Uh, mostly because I think people who decide to watch A Link to the Past Rando usually know what they're getting into. They, they choose to watch A Link to the Past Rando. They don't just stumble upon it. And to a lesser extent, um, you know, if you're a lurker, you're probably going to be confused and you might tune out if the commentary doesn't explain stuff a lot. But most of the time people will ask questions in chat. And as we all know, chat falls over each other to explain things as detailed and as much as possible most of the time. So, you know, most of the questions will be answered by chat before you can even read them on commentary. I guess, uh, Tim, I was the the last person. So just uh, for our audience's uh, knowledge, I called, I think, two or three games back in the fall tournament, and then obviously we had our own tournament where... uh, I would team up with uh, Tim for some of the uh, the matches, and uh, what I tried to keep in mind is that, um, you know, kind of what Herf is saying, I assume a very base level of knowledge, like they know what Link to the Past is, they know you need seven crystals, and they know you need to kill Ganon, but otherwise, I tried to at least keep in mind that the person who's watching may be fairly new, and just give kind of basic background, like if they suddenly are... <clears throat> you know, pulling out a, uh, you know, mirror, uh, and they don't have a moon pearl yet, you know, that I will kind of try to keep in mind that, okay, they might not, the audience might not know what that has opened up, so maybe that's something I need to throw in here. But on the other hand, if they, you know, are pulling out a, uh, you know, go mode bow, I'm not going to be like, well, okay, so now what happens is they can do this dungeon, this, 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 it's just okay, they're, they're, they're going through the go mode now. Mm-hmm. See, I think of, of all of us, I probably tend the most towards like new, brand new players. Like I'm more willing to explain something that seems more basic because I think I've never really seen chat be like, why are they explaining all the super basic stuff? But you do see chat being like, what is going on right now? You know, so I, I tend to kind of gravitate more towards like, what would a brand new listener think? But I think it's also, you know, we just heard a, a range of different answers there. So I think that can that's something that can maybe vary from commentator to commentator. Um, so that's interesting. I, I just like getting different, different sort of takes. Um, Herb, if you want to maybe go through some more of these kind of uh, things we've got here in the outline, we can kind of all just, you know, maybe mm-hmm. weigh in. Maybe not everyone on all of them, but just no. kind of weigh in here and there. Uh, one thing I want to mention really quickly because we kind of glossed over it, but just the mm. general structure of how commentary works. If you're going to be, you know, selected for commentary for commentary of a SG race, let's say a daily race. Usually what happens mm-hmm. is 
uh, you'll be invited to uh, a commentary discord where you join a voice channel where you will be with the restreamer and your co-commentator and you'll watch a restream not the restream on the sg channel because that will be delayed so all your commentary will be delayed by a couple of seconds probably but you get a special RTMP restream, as Rick mentioned earlier, where you basically watch both feeds without delay. So whatever you say comes out on the SG channel in time. Uh, you'll be there a couple of minutes before the race. You'll have some banter, you know, talk a little bit about, for a daily race, let's say, what mode it's going to be, who the runners featured on the restream are, you know, just some back and forth with your co-commentator. Then you call the race, as you are used to from commentary. At the end, uh, there might be a player interview. It's usually, or as far as I know, it's always at the discretion of the players. So mm -hmm. if a runner doesn't feel like giving an interview, you might not end up with an interview. And then you just kind of sign off. Uh, we have, for example, that's one point that we have here. Shoutouts to trackers, restreamers, volunteers, etc. Uh, really depends on what you're doing, who you're commentating for like which restream channel for example Fiesel has told us as admins of the tournament that he doesn't really want people to shout him out personally because even though you know he provides the channels and everything he doesn't really do anything he just you know runs the back end people are there's people who are running the restream that are volunteers there's the commentators that are volunteers and the trackers he's just you know, the, the generous provider, and he doesn't want personal thanks for that. He feels kind of not so great about that. He's like, uh, he's like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, sort of. pretty much, pretty much. So, <laughs> you know, the, the shout-outs, for example, they're kind of a uh, do it if you feel like it, you don't have to. It always feels, at least to me personally, it feels a little sad to not shout-out the trackers because they're kind of the unsung heroes, you know, they're clicking mm -hmm. all the buttons, but nobody ever knows their names. Yeah, they do a lot of really, really crucial work. It would be a much lower quality stream without a, a good tracker there. Yeah, absolutely. So you know that's kind of the the structure. But <clears throat> excuse me to to get yeah, back no, to. I'm glad you laid that out. Yeah, for sure. To to get back to our points that we have here. So I, I think with the structure, I covered a couple of those. Um, one thing I, I want to mention is uh, we have written down here interaction with chat. And uh, I talked a little bit with you guys before we started recording about that, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what Rick has to say about that. I personally said, I think it's kind of a bad thing. Um, you, you know, interaction with chat is kind of going to happen naturally in a way where either you're running the uh, Ganon's Tower big key guessing game, which, I'll, which we'll get into a little bit later, or... You're, you know, you might have missed someone pick something up and then you're like, hey, chat, what did they just pick up? That's perfectly fine. I think that's chat interaction. That's totally okay. But once you start addressing people in chat that, you know, a theory in chat or someone saying something stupid or whatever, you're you're opening the floodgates and you're opening Pandora's box and it can only go south from there. Well, here's my take on this. And my take is going to be a little bit different than what Herfy has to say. Uh, chat interaction is okay if it's relevant to the race itself, but you also have to remember one thing. How is the viewer watching this in the future? Are mm -hmm. they watching this on a VOD on Twitch, or are they watching this on YouTube? And if you're interacting with chat, you're saying, yes, that's correct. Nope, that's not correct. Uh, no, he has not found that. No, he has not. Somebody answer this what am i talking about <laughs> yeah because youtube's not gonna be able to see the chat exactly on twitch yep. yeah 
Or somebody who's watching without reading the uh, Twitch chat because it's going a million miles an hour might not see it. Right. Or mm-hmm. if it's a case where the VOD was created and chat had expired because some of those older, older videos now doesn't have the chat replay, you have no idea what they're responding to. So sometimes it's the best way of maybe going about it is uh, just to answer a question in chat. Yep, uh, we have not found where the bow is yet. We have not checked this location uh, we kind of restating what they're asking so that there's a little bit of context to what you're saying when you're replying to somebody in chat instead of just yes and no's and maybes and yes, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that is that's a, what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's a, no. a teaching uh, trick that uh, I've, uh, I've picked up that uh, if you're doing like a big presentation or something and you're doing like a question section, who knows if the back of the audience heard what the person five feet away from you asked. You say, oh, yes, you know, just to hear for everybody, that question was, uh, have they found the Swamp Palace Big Key yet? Yeah, just like reiterate it so that there's some context. And and here's here's something kind of interesting. One nice thing about having races that are almost always commentated. Um, You guys ever just listen to a race? You just have you have the race on in another tab, and you're just listening to the commentary only. Because I've I've definitely done that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and I don't think necessarily commentators have to illustrate everything that's happening. You know, for like the visually impaired, for instance, I don't think it should quite be at that level of detail. But I do think you it's maybe something to keep in mind that you know you are kind of narrating this this experience, and if you're only touching on some of the things or you're answering text questions, then like. There, you're not giving the listener the, the whole story, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an interesting comment that you just made because we had this discussion just this week over on the Zelda 1 Randomizer Discord where uh, somebody was saying that the commentary that they heard wasn't necessarily uh, great for somebody who was visually impaired mm. and that they couldn't keep up with what was going on because there wasn't as much of a description of what was going on. It was more of a we're talking side things instead of what's going on on the screen. So that's something that, yeah, as you guys mentioned, you don't have to completely go into a okay, well, this person just walked into this uh, room here and he's going shooting off against these three Igors. He gets one arrow and does that because you're going to lose the focus of the audience there too because you've just yeah. completely gone it's into too much. a full yeah. play-by-play. It, you've got to blend it. You've got to mix it together somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I've always found one of the challenges in random commentary is, you know, Rick, as you know, in kind of like sports commentary, you have usually a play-by-play person and then a, a color commentary person but Rando doesn't really lend itself well to doing play-by-play calls, so it's almost like you've got two people doing both roles. Yeah, that's a good point. You've got two color commentators, basically, unless, I guess, you talk ahead of time, which is something they do encourage you to do. Um, And this is probably a good opportunity to mention one thing you can check in the description of this episode. Um, uh, We're going to link up the uh, outlines that they released. It's a Google Doc that's a couple pages long uh, as, like, you know, commentator do's and don'ts for the fall tournament from last year. Um, That's got a lot of really great info that we're sort of kind of treading over now. Um, One of the things that that mentions uh, avoiding is memeing. 
So maybe we can talk a little bit about everyone's thoughts on memeing. Herf, your thoughts on memeing. Do you love memes? Yes or no? <laughs> oh, man. Do you really have to start with me? Okay. So, uh, I mean, what can I say? If you've ever listened to a single episode of this podcast, you probably know already what I'm going to say. But uh, it's all right in small doses when it's funny, you know. As with every meme, it can be overdone. And we've all, I think everyone has heard one or two or maybe more commentators in the past where almost their entire commentary was centered around memes. You know, for every item, they knew the meme. For every location, they knew another meme. And if there wasn't a meme, they made one up just to have another meme. And it, it just, I think for a lot of people... It not only gets tiring because it's so pun heavy and people are just rolling their eyes constantly. What you also have to remember is what we mentioned earlier for newer viewers and people who haven't been around the community for a long time. A lot of these memes don't mean anything. They are just a bunch of gibberish that the guy (laughs) just said. And why is that funny? And what significance does that have? So not only are you annoying people, you're also losing newer people because they don't know what the heck's going on. Yeah, it's essentially an inside joke. Mm-hmm. You know, and inside jokes are not funny if you're not on the inside of them. And you're always going to have people that are not, that don't get the joke when they're watching. So I I, I agree. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I generally, I think, probably want to try to stay away from it. As, you know, you are instructed to do by the, uh, you know, admin, tourney, the, the tourney admins. So. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with uh, a lot of the things that Herfie says. I'll bring up uh, a couple of examples here. And that is the one big-name streamer who liked to uh, comment that another big-name streamer loves to cheat because he hovers. And, okay, without the context to that... Yeah. Okay. It sounds like an actual... Yeah. It's ha-ha. It's funny if you're in the inside, but on the outside... It sounds kind of iffy there, and that's kind of why we've had to try to limit people from saying that, because, okay, yeah, that one person says it, but you got to also remember that that person is a very good friend of the person he's saying is doing that, so you, he can kind of get away with it when he's saying it, but load, yeah. uh commentary number three who's got no relation to this person saying the same thing, no, it's not going to fly, so... It's yeah. it's tough. I think uh, I think our favorite community example of this is probably our uh, wonderful Moldorm Two chest that everyone knows about. Uh, formerly, yes, <laughs> formerly known, very very formerly known as Validation Chest, and uh, the meme about that chest used to be: Hey, if you don't open that chest after Moldorm Two, which you will usually or in ninety nine point nine percent of the cases never ever need anything from. Uh, your run doesn't count as valid and you're therefore disqualified you know that meme was funny and haha for a while until people in chat started actually believing that you would be disqualified if you didn't open that stupid chest and And that's just a no-go there were commentary who did draw upon the thing that said that this person now is disqualified because he hasn't checked the chest and so chat's reacting to that like it really is the truth that they had to open up that chest in order to validate the run. And it's no, no, no. Because that's the other part of the aspect is you got to keep the audience in mind. And, and inside jokes are great 
when you're talking between friends, but you got to remember that not all 500 people that are watching this match that's on the screen are inside joke friends. Yeah, there's a, there's another example in speedrunning that I think comes to mind, and this, I don't remember if it was uh, SGDQ 2018 or AGDQ, but it was recently in the last few years, there was a Mirror's Edge run where the commentator kept on saying, oh, but I thought this was inbounds and now you're out of bounds, are you cheating? And that was pretty much the commentary the whole time, and... Now, that they both were friends and were kind of ribbing on each other, but it made for a very awkward view if you were not kind of in the Mirror's Edge community, and me as someone who's never even played it casually, I had no idea what was going on because the whole time they were talking about the fact that the runner was cheating with air quotes around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's alienating. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, while we're on the topic of things to avoid while doing commentary, Ooh, this is good this, transition. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, this is one that's like very personally important to me. Uh, I think the one like if there's only one rule you remember about your commentary that you absolutely need to follow, uh, it's that's a rule that's very dear to my heart. It's the commentary is not about you and your co-commentator. The commentary is about the game and the two runners. You need to lift up the runners, you need to not make it about yourself, and you need to especially not talk down or bad about any other runners. Even if they're just making the stupidest decision that you've ever seen in rando history, make it sound like it was a creative decision. You know, find something that doesn't make it sound negative. I think that's maybe like the most important thing, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, like a referee in sports, if uh, if you know their name they probably aren't doing a good job because they should just be there in the background. Exactly. You're, you're there, there to enhance the experience, not to, you know, make it about yourself or start telling everyone how much better you will be doing this or that or how your decisions will be this or that. Yeah, and that sort of goes back to the, to the memeing thing. You know, like, if you're doing that, it's because you're trying to be funny and it's like maybe focus less on trying to just be funny and bring a lot of attention to yourself and let's talk a little bit more about what's going on in the race. You know? I think it's also often a crutch of newer commentators when they yeah. don't really know what to talk about. They start talking about what they will be doing, which is fine in small doses just, you know, to explain a thought or a theory you might have about what they're going to do. But if that's all your commentary is, then everyone's going to be like, well, I'm not watching you run. Stop talking about what you will be doing. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with having like suggestions on what you could have done differently as opposed to it. But if you said, well, that's a horrible decision. I don't know why they'd even bother going to Cold Stare with a fighter sword. Then, yeah, that's uh, you're, you're pretty much talking down to that runner at that point. But if it's a case where uh, I don't know why they decided to check go right straight down to colster instead of checking the three chest over on the right hand side that's something of a well this surprises me i'm not certain what the idea here is are they gambling on this at this point or whatever the case might be but there's got to be uh you got to keep an eye on how bad you're talking about the runner because first of all what do most runners do after they get done with the race if they want to focus and see where the race went well for them, where the race went bad. What are they going to do? They're going to watch the restream. Right. They're going to hear what you said. Oh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Tim, actually, I was thinking about the situation we ran into in the uh, 
the first game of the finals that we commentated in Gannon's Tower, where we were trying to figure out what one of the runners was trying to do in terms of their uh, their routing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the way you and I handled that. We both were very confused, but instead of saying, well, that's a terrible idea, and I don't know, you know, that's that's really sucky, we were trying to figure out, okay, like, what is the reason for why he would be doing that? Yeah, and maybe you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Here. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got to assume that they know what they're doing. You don't you don't want to say that you know you don't usually want to allege that someone made a mistake unless it definitely was, and then you want to say you know it's fine they're going to get back up through it or whatever. Um, and and, and yeah, it's it's you, you just it, it kind of goes back to being positive, you know. Mm-hmm. It, that's that's what you want to do. So um, let's see. Anything else with? Uh, I, I think this has all been really good. Do we have any other thoughts just generally about like you know? how to commentate and things to keep in mind um i I think we covered the basics for most of it i I think we could probably talk about how to do good commentary and what to avoid and what to do for like we've been avoiding we've been avoiding the question for long enough let's finally answer space poets question from the top of this segment and uh rick maybe you can give us an idea kind of walk us through i'd be interested to hear because i know you're you're a part of the you know, on on the uh, admin team for the commentary, what what is that process like if someone wants to become a commentator? What should they do? Well, I think to best answer Space Poet's question, the best way of getting into commentary at this point is to sign up uh, and help out with the uh, daily races first. That will at least get your feet in. It'll get them wet. And that will give you at least something that uh, people can listen to and you can get stronger by doing the daily races until the uh, next tournament shows up and which uh, then you can start really trying to see uh, about the process we'll get into that process in just a few moments Herfy and I will because I know that's on our outline of things to do but the best way really is to sign up for the daily races to at least give you some experience uh, while we wait for the next tournament uh, SG dailies there's uh, not really a huge barrier to entry if I wanted to be mean, which I kind of do. I would say they take anyone who has a pulse. Um, but for the tournament, the barrier of entry is going to be a little bit harder uh, because, you know, just for official things that are put on by the community, uh, we want to raise up the quality as much as we can. So there's a little bit of a entrance hurdle with a quiz and you know a short example of your previous work and stuff like that and the whole idea about the quiz just to get into that uh is not necessarily to forbid people from doing it by seeming exclusionary it's just to make sure that the people who are doing commentary for the tournament know what they're talking about because here's one of the things that we've noticed over the years and this goes back to do's and don'ts of commentary we notice that people make misstatements about the game, misstatements about certain tricks in the game, or misstatements about certain things that go on in the game. But it's one of those things where you should learn about the game if you want to get better at doing commentary. Like, I'm not going to name names, but there was somebody in one of the daily races not too long ago that made the misstatement about the Ice Rod's vanilla uh, vanilla location being in Turtle Rock. Hmm. Hmm. Ooh. That is not the case. That is definitely not not the case. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Yeah. No, I will say, uh, you know, as a newer commentator and as someone 
who had an interest in it and one, you know, much like Space Poet wondered about it. This is sort of what I was the most trepidatious about was the knowledge required and, you know, being really concerned about passing this quiz and, you know, uh, being worried about getting onto one of these streams and saying something that was wrong and having chat just dogpile over me and be like, who is this idiot? You know, so I think this is an important part and, and maybe something that keeps people away from even pursuing commentary. But I would say there's no harm in taking the quiz if it's something that you want to do. And uh, it's pretty likely that you will get paired up with a more experienced commentator if you're brand new your first time. And they can definitely sort of help you through. Uh, Rick, would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. We try to do our best to pair up new commentators with uh, veteran commentators, at least to allow them to work with somebody professional. Well, I, I don't want to say the word professional, but to work with somebody who has a little bit better understanding of uh, the game and a little bit of better understanding of how things work out in randomizers. And yeah. it works out pretty well. I mean, we do this also for various other tournaments uh, that I've uh, overseen or have been a part of. And it works out pretty well. Just it allows people to have the ability to work with somebody who knows how to keep the conversation going and maybe uh, get rid of those uh, first time uh, worries that a new commentator might be going through. Mm hmm. Uh, just uh, as a quick note on this, because I know people, you know, uh, maybe our listeners are thinking this as well right now, and I know people have given us a lot of crap in the past for making the barrier to the entry to commentary for the tournament so quote-unquote high. You know, a quiz, an interview, <laughs> a little clip that you have to submit and stuff like that. They're like, come on, we're commentating like a video game on some Twitch channel that 2K people at most watch. Why are you making this such a big ordeal? But no, I'm sorry. I just want to quickly clarify. When Herf says we, he's referring to himself to and Rick as ad, yeah, as yeah. Uh, uh, co specifically commentary admins for past tournaments because you both were. Um, Herf is now main admin. Um, so, but you you both have experience in that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. So we we we've been you know doing this for a while now, and uh, I think. Maybe, Tim, maybe you can attest to this. Even if you're not doing so great on the quiz, we ne we try to make you feel included. We don't, you know, we, you know, as Rick said, we don't try to shut people out. There's a couple of people, admittedly, which, you know, it's helped us sort out the bad apples. But it's also kept the quality of the commentary high throughout the whole process. And uh, we, we try to give people another chance, you know? It's not like, oh, you answered one question on the quiz wrong, you're gone from commentary forever. You'll never be able to commentate anything. Uh, Herf, your statement sort of implied something about my performance on the quiz that I didn't exactly appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I realized that after I said that, and then I was no, like, oh, it's a, When I did yeah. the quiz, Herf you know, messaged me and was like, hey, X, you know, you're in, but you did get one question a little wrong. I just want to go through it with you and make sure that you understand about what's going on here. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. So... The, the commentary admins are not mean or scary. They're very nice people who want yeah, to Yeah, very reasonable. Yeah. And I'm sure Herf is not probably referring to my second quiz, which I did pass, and I think there was only a couple of things that we had to kind of go over. Uh, probably more referring to my first quiz, which was a bit of a debacle. 
It wasn't uh, really I, that I, bad. I see this note on the outline that does say uh, Timp might share his commentary quiz story. Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to do that. Of, you know, I was very nicely and slowly trying to ease him into it. Yes. So this this was uh, the spring of 2018 to uh, become a commentator for the fall tournament, I, I guess. I, I don't even exactly remember. Um, but I uh, was just starting to get into Rando. And as I've mentioned on shows in the, on episodes in the past, I had an interest in commentary. I thought it sounded fun and, and wanted to give it a try. So uh, I was at my, uh, at the time, fiance's, uh, her best friend's wedding rehearsal after dinner thing so like we went to the wedding rehearsal then we went to a bar in like some podunk city in south carolina so it was like i didn't have a lot of friends there um so i was kind of you know i just i'm I'm pretty social overall but i was i was sort of on my phone just kind of playing around um and i was a few beers in maybe like three at this point (laughs) i was on my phone and i saw the uh notification in the discord that uh the quiz had been released and i was like oh the quiz is released i bet if I submit mine first, if I'm the first one to enter one and they can see how excited I am about being commentator, they'll have to accept me. So I took the entire quiz at this bar, like three beers in, like, oh like my answer to one of the questions, it was like, is it possible to blah, blah, blah. And my answer was like, what? LOL. No, they're looking for a little <laughs> bit more of an explanation than oh, that boy, on the quiz. Yeah. I, I have since learned. So uh herf actually was the one that reached out to me um and said hey just wanted to talk to you about this quiz um do you do you want to go over it and i was like i I guess (laughs) i guess we probably should and he's like telling me my answers and i like don't remember all of them and i'm just like oh my god but he was he was very gracious and um i took the second one a little bit more seriously and things worked out just fine but uh yeah just a little uh, cautionary tale for all of you i suppose yeah, maybe maybe try to keep the beers down a little bit yeah. if you're trying to keep take it to, the quiz. Yeah, one at a maximum or something. Yeah, so that you know what that was on me. That, or, that was on me. You know, I accept that. Maybe uh, drink even more beer. Who knows? Right. Maybe. Yeah, it could have come all the way back around full circle or something. Yeah. Um. So so while we're all on uh, personal stories, I think this is maybe a good segue uh, to to share some of our favorite either commentators or commentary performances you know we i can try to link some youtube videos if you if, if you share them with me um but let's let's start with rick do you have any uh any favorites or personal stories from your own commentary you might like to share uh let's see well first of all i mentioned the uh the agdq 2014 thing with super metroid with uh, sinister one at the very beginning that right there even though that's a different circumstance with that being a gdq commentary that was one of those things that really started to uh really shine for me uh as far as other commentaries that i've uh, had the chance to uh, watch uh there's a commentator who if you want to really style or see a style that is a uh, different that is more of a play-by-play than anything else we mentioned and a little more interactive with the chat as well. Uh, Will Cleosis, who does Final Fantasy randomizer commentary, is definitely somebody who's been very interesting to wa- uh, to listen to uh, as he goes about it uh, with his uh, Final Fantasy randomizer stuff. Uh, and let's see, as far as uh, Link to the Past is concerned, uh, Link to the Past randomizer is concerned. Let me see. Let me let me just go back to the do's and don'ts for a row because sure. uh, there's a couple things that I do want to say in regards to commentary. First of all, 
don't be afraid to listen to your commentary back. You know what you've done. If you go back and listen and you're like, oh, why did I say this? Or, oh, did I really say that out loud? Hearing the nuances and things like that can only allow you to grow better. Because sometimes you don't hear or you don't think of the things that you do subconsciously. And listening to your commentary back allows you to at least maybe be more conscious of the things that you do. If you say a certain word a little too much. Like, I do it for sports commentary. I will listen to my broadcast back. And I've noticed that I say a particular word way too many times. So I'm like trying to convince myself not to say that word too many times. And that's the word here. Here we go. It's third here on the 42-yard line. Here's the pass. Here's this. And I'm like, oh, wow. Am I really saying that word too much? So don't be afraid to listen to your commentary back to notice these things. That you're saying this word a little too much. Now is another word that I say too much that I'd like to try to get rid of my vocabulary. Also, don't be afraid to uh, maybe take a look at the source and find newer ways of saying a word. Uh, getting back to the topic, though, there's been a lot of great uh, stories of uh, great commentary that I've done uh, via Zelda 1 Randomizer and uh, the tight finishes that go on there, the upsets that can happen, the Link to the Past Randomizer, and for me, it was an awkward race because of what happened at the end, but the six-second finish between, I think it was Janice Zeal and... Uh, somebody else, and I can't remember who else it was, or no, it may have been Cruel, but it was in the first tournament. A six-second finish was unheard of at that point. That was the closest finish at that point in time. And wow. it was just amazing, because here they are. They're both on Ganon. It's, oh, who's going to get that last hit? Who's going to get that last silver arrow hit onto him? And it was just so exciting. That is probably the one that comes to mind at the most at this point. Mm. See if you can uh, find a link to that. I'd love to share that in the description of this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Axe and Herf, any uh, personal stories and or final thoughts from you guys on commentary as we sort of wrap this up? Um, well, for me, I think it's hard to really remember specifics, to be honest. But I think what I remember most fondly was my starting commentary, which I've talked about on the podcast before in the entrance rando tournament. Uh, I've met a lot of good friends there. And, uh, you know, my start in the official tournament was also another big step for me. Um, as for favorite, you know, videos or examples of good commentary, kind of hard to nail down. It really depends on the pairing and kind of the mood, I guess. Because, you know, everyone sort of has a different style. And if you're in the mood for something funnier, you might enjoy listening to this guy more today. But tomorrow, you know, he might be too annoying for you because of all the stupid stuff they say. Uh, one person that comes to mind for me personally that I've enjoyed commentating with a lot, but I don't think he does a lot of rando commentary for Link to the Past anymore, if at all, was uh, the Greenleaf effect. Oh um, yeah, definitely. If you if you can find older tournament VODs or something of him commentating something, he's he's just a blast to commentate with, and he's a blast to listen to. Hearing him go off uh, 
in my tournament race against Fred when it was him and Dorkmaster Fleck on commentary. And uh, hearing him go off because uh, Fred decided to bomb the validation chest or the final chest, if you will. And then me, ten minutes later, doing the same thing without even knowing that Fred had done that. <laughs> was a blast. We'll try to find that one, too. That that sounds good. Axe, any final thoughts? Well, uh, so I, I was thinking as, uh, you know, what to say here. And I will say the uh, the very first time I did commentary, so this was the fall uh, 2018 tournament, you know, the, the big one. And uh, I had never commentated really at a, on a big stage before. And I want to, I wish I remember who I commentated with because... They were just the kindest, most helpful person in the the pre-show, being like, "Oh, you'll be fine. You know, you know what you're doing. You'll be great." And uh, we had a really great chemistry together and good commentary. And I just wish I could remember who it was so I could thank them. I think I might be able to find it because I remember you talking about your first commentary on the show, and I linked the video. So it's. I think I can find it. Uh, check the description, see if I was successful or not, and see if that link is there. Yeah, uh, but um, I, I guess really my point is that, you know, if this is something you want to do, it is, just like the rest of the randomizer community, a really friendly, helpful, um, positive community. And, you know, everybody wants everyone to have a good time and everyone to succeed. And, uh, you know, it's it's just, it's a great way to still be involved in randomizer without necessarily having to play all the time. Uh, Axe, do you think it might have been Demon RHK? That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think that was your first. Um, that was your first commentary that you did, and we linked it up in the in that first video. So I'll link it again. Actually, I linked the Twitch so, video back then, so we'll see if it's on YouTube now. So Demon RHK, you are a, a wonderful human, and thank you so much for being so helpful and supportive just a little <laughs> under a year ago. Nice. Um, rather than sharing any favorite commentators or experiences or anything, I, I want to just kind of end on this, this final thought and, and maybe open up one more time for kind of your thoughts on this. But um, I just I think that the commentary that goes along with the races that are on YouTube and streamed on Twitch in terms of a link to the past randomizer, like the, the involvement of the commentary is a huge, huge part of why it has blown up so much and it has become so popular. Um, I realize it was popular before these restreams and commentary and races, but intrinsically, I, I think the idea of randomizer is so unique and fun, and it's just wrapped up in this very weird, inscrutable package of a game that came out in '91. You know, so like the concepts behind it that we talk about, you know, on on episodes all the time and during commentary of like risk and reward and betting on one place versus another and execution, like. These are all really fascinating, you know, concepts, but we need someone to help translate that information and make it a little more accessible and get people into it. And I would imagine that a lot of people get into Rando because they start watching it and they get wrapped up in the commentary that, you know, the commentators are providing. And, and so I think commentary is, is just absolutely essential for the Rando community. Um, a quick sort of example of this sort of thing happening, I want to uh, direct everyone's attention uh, to a YouTube channel called Gels Marble Runs. Are any of you guys familiar with Gels oh Marble God. Runs? Yes. Yep. So it's good. incredible. So oh there's this God. guy. So it's it's very high production quality 
um, marble races, uh, like using Legos and connects and stuff like that as the tracks. Um, it's really high. It's one dude and, and some helpers, I think, that does it. But, um, you know, he sets up these really elaborate stadiums and puts little marbles, you know, in the stands as like fake spectators and then has the marbles racing each other and makes it like an Olympics thing. But um, all of them are commentated by the guy named Greg Woods. And he does it basically as if it were the Olympics or some professional sport event. And his commentary and just how seriously he takes these marble races and how much fun you can tell he's having. Just like now this channel has millions and millions of of views as opposed to if it was just marble races. Like it would probably have a, a fraction of that, you know. So having that human element, having someone to describe what's going on to something can just totally elevate and I think I think it does that in, in Rando. I think it's inseparable to the yeah. to the whole equation. I, I think it's why speedrunning has started blowing up too. And you know, I think we can look to games done quick and other kind of marathon events where they have commentary really as a jumping off point for a lot of people because if you haven't played, say, you know, Super Mario World since, you know, nineteen ninety three and you suddenly get dropped into a speedrun of it, you're going to have no idea what's going on. But if there's someone there to point out, okay, this is what they're doing, this is why they're doing it, it suddenly becomes a lot more accessible, and it makes you think like, oh, hey, maybe maybe I can do that. And I mm-hmm. think that's why the kind of hobby of speedrunning in the last, you know, call it four to five years, has really gone from a, a fairly, you know, smaller niche area of the larger video gaming subculture to a uh, a pretty big player in it yeah um all right well i think that that's that'll kind of wrap up our conversation on commentary um rick i want to thank you again so much for joining us um we are going to wrap things up here and actually answer a couple of listener email questions would you like to stick around and join us for that sure thing all right let's go Okay, so we've got a few questions here. We actually have quite a few questions uh, this week. Um, we had the one that we already had uh, from Space Poet, so thank you, Space Poet. Um, there is another one that we got from Lumaga actually a little while ago, and they asked us to read it at the conclusion of the Go Mode Podcast Mentor Tournament. Um, as I've mentioned already, we are going to probably bump uh, talking about some of that stuff until next time when we can invite our winners on. Um, we're also going to send some forums and get some feedback from the runners and mentors. And we want to share all that sort of in one package. So I will address that question. Uh, we will address that question uh, in the next episode. So we'll skip that one for now. And our next question is from Arusta, who is also a uh, mentor tournament racer. And Arusta says, Hey guys, love the podcast. The mentor tourney was great and really helpful in learning both my own matches and seeing how other new slash newish players do things. Have you guys thought about doing a podcast on overworld routing? It's a huge part of the gameplay and really can make or break a seed. Obviously, it changes a lot from game to game, so there's not a 100% answer, but there's a bunch of very common situations that could be worth discussing. Um, then they list a few examples, Dark World Access being Hammer Glove, and you haven't been to Dark World at all. Do you do Hype Cave to Pod, or do you start at the Village of Outcasts? Um, you know, questions like that. Uh, the value of clearing out dense overworld vo- uh, locations, skipping Ice Cave early, stuff like that. So uh, thank you, Arrested, for the email. Uh, I'd say, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's definitely a good candidate for an episode topic or maybe something sort of around that. You know, we did all the dungeons um, and then that leaves a whole bunch of like kind of overworld space that we didn't didn't really get to in that same sort of detail. Um, so yeah, that's maybe something we could do. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I think it's kind of a diff uh, difficult topic to broach because, as Arrasta said, uh, it's it's really going to come down to how your seed is playing out currently, especially with some of the questions they ask specifically. Like, how much is it worth valuing clearing out dense overworld locations versus clearing a crystal? Yeah, usually I'd say clear a crystal, but it really depends on how your seed's been playing out so far. Yeah. Yeah. To tie that into the you know kind of theme of this episode being commentary, I I did note in one of the matches during the finals that one of the runners had a very very tight uh, overworld routing in the dark world, mm -hmm. and it took uh, a situation that could have been kind of a pain to go through, and they just hit it and did. I mean, I probably wouldn't have been able to think of this, and uh, I think they made up a lot of time from doing it that way. So I agree that. Overworld routing can be really important, but to what Herf is saying, you know, it really can vary because it's not quite like, okay, you know, I'm in Ice Palace, how do I do it? It's going to depend on, you know, how far into the seat are you? What items do you have? What areas have you checked? What is your comfort level with execution? There's a lot more that goes in. And so the right routing for one runner might not be the right routing for another runner in the same seed in the same race. Yeah, overworld stuff, it, it ends up being a lot more um, contextual, I guess. That's not really the word I mean to use. But it, it's hard to examine it sort of uh, in a vacuum the way that you mm -hmm. can with a dungeon. You know, with a dungeon, you, you know that a certain set of things needs to be done. With the overworld, you know, you could get away with skipping whole swatches of the overworld or just this check or just that check. Now, I will say something like, um, you know, I, I have considered maybe we could do an episode on like the South Dark World tour, like those like seven or eight checks and different scenarios of you have this item versus you don't because those all pretty much always happen in the same swing. Yeah, that could maybe be an example of how we could make an episode about it, but it definitely gives us some things to think about, and I don't think it's off the table by any means. So thank you again, Arresta, for that email. Let's, let's move on to the next one. Next one is from Matt C., and they say, I recently discovered SMZ3R, and in the process of learning all about that, I discovered Go Mode Podcast. Thanks to you guys, I have learned a lot about ALTTPR, which will help me big time in SMZ3R. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Have you guys considered bringing on some people from the Super Metroid randomizer or SMZ3 randomizer teams to talk about their respective games, or perhaps other Zelda randomizer teams like Zelda 1 or Link's Awakening? Cheers, Matt C. Uh, I would love to have somebody on to talk about SMZ3R for sure, whether it be one of the devs or somebody involved in their adminning team or one of the more... Um, prominent racers or runners in that community absolutely in fact i would say if anybody has suggestions of people we could reach out to i'd be happy to um take those suggestions for sure what do you what do you guys think well uh, i actually wanted to kick this over to rick because i know uh you were talking a lot about you know z1 randomizer and uh you know how does that kind of uh, influence how you think about uh link to the past randomizer the thing with Z1R is uh, it, it's a different animal than Link to the Past randomizer in regards to the fact that uh, Z1R has got everything all shuffled up under most circumstances with the exclusion of what you see in the current tournament, which is only where the dungeons are being shuffled up. But the it's a different thing because, uh, you know, the Link to the Past randomizer 
there's a lot of routing that can come into play. There's a lot of uh, combat that comes into play, but the way that it comes into play is a whole lot different in Zelda 1 Randomizer because the question is, is should I be clearing this room? Should I be moving on to this room? What rooms do I skip? Should I really be in this dungeon with a whole lot of whiz robes? Should I really be trying to fight off against uh, a room with eight blue dark nuts with the uh, wood sword when... Guess what? My Triforce that I'm going to need that gets me to level 9 at some point is uh, three rooms up and a room full of keys. Uh, it's a different kind of animal just because of the way that uh, the differences between Link to the Past randomizer works and the way that Fred works with the Zelda 1 randomizer. Uh, so, it's it's tough to say in that one. Yeah. Uh, my personal opinion on this is, uh, here comes old Uncle Grumpy Hurst. Uh, we are a Link to the Past randomizer podcast, so I think SMZ3R, maybe. The rest, uh, I would say, definitely not off the table. Maybe at some point in the future, if we you know keep growing, keep expanding, keep maybe broadening what we're talking about. But for AKA, now, once we get desperate for topics maybe i mean more like once, once we, we get, get corporate a million listeners and <laughs> half of them ask us to talk about zelda 2 randomizer we'll be like all right fine we'll do it yeah yeah it's on the radar i mean and and like for instance i, I don't remember exactly what episode but there was one time when uh axe played majora's mask randomizer and we talked about it for five or ten minutes um, at the beginning of an episode so that for sure i could i could see you know talking about it for five or ten minutes a whole feature i'm with herf i think smz3r makes perfect sense like i said already um anything outside of that yeah we'd have to expand quite a bit i think to justify taking a whole feature for it but mm -hmm. um, the, yeah, nothing is impossible I definitely can see that with SMZ3 because uh, take a look at what's going on with the SG Live qualifiers. Uh, Asder has been rocking the Link to the Past randomizer qualifiers, and a lot of what he's used to get better at Link to the Past randomizer is uh, the fact that he's been doing a whole lot of uh, combomizers with the SMZ3. Hmm. That stands to reason. I mean, anytime anything Link to the Past, even if it's not strictly ALTTPR, uh, is relevant in some community i think it's worth at least a mention on this show and i've said that before so um yeah definitely definitely on our radar uh so thanks again for the email matt c we've got one more here to go over uh and this is from dylan and dylan says love the podcast been listening for a while and always find it entertaining and informative i'm a novice runner done a handful of seeds part way through completed a triforce hunt super fun mode and done a bunch of z3r sim my fetch question is, how do you determine when you are in go mode? I know that it varies depending on everything, but are there some general rules slash tips slash tricks? Thanks, and keep on mirroring out. And that was from Dylan. Um, that is a, it's a really good question that I think we probably gloss over a lot, you know, how to determine go mode. And it, and it goes back to our, you know, again, tying everyone into the topic of this episode is commentary. That's kind of a common thing that commentators do, you know, about midway through a seed is, okay, what items do we still need for go mode? Um, this is another thing we honestly could do. We could probably talk about a lot more than just the few minutes we're going to spend on it right now. But do you guys want to give us just some like broad strokes, like how to identify go mode? I have some ideas, but I want to I want to start with one of you guys first. I mean, I, oh, go ahead, Rick. 
I was going to say, yeah, my, the, the main thing for me is to, okay, what do we have on the uh, crystal lineup here? Uh, what do we have uh, for potential needing to get into uh, GT? And that's always going to be the question, number one. What can what do you need to get into Gans Tower? And number two, uh, what could possibly be required to get into defeat Ganon? Once you, once you get to those questions... Then you start kind of orchestrating what is going to be needed for Gomo. Now, for some runners, it's going to include the necessary new sword. It's going to need. It's going to require the discovery of the lamp because we know that not all runners are veterans when it comes to trying to figure out where to go in Misery Mire. And that's kind of where it comes into play is to kind of figure out what exactly is going to be needed to get into Ganon's Tower, to get all the crystals to get into Ganon's Tower, and then what is needed to beat the game. Uh, that's what we consider to be go mode. Uh, once you get that last item that is holding you back from having to check everything uh, and into, oh, there we go. It's now officially where we can go. Now, one thing that I do want to state is that sometimes you hear us make a mention about 95.6% go mode. That's that one case where you don't have the boots, and that big key could end up on the torch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say uh, pretty much everything that Rick just said. The first thing you need to look at is your crystal layout. Which mm-hmm. crystal dungeons do I need to clear to get into Ganon's Tower? And all the items that you need to get through those dungeons is part of your go mode. And then there's a few variables every time. Uh, the first variable is going to be the medallion requirements. Uh, a runner might have one of the three medallions, and we know what Misery Mire needs to be opened up, but we don't know what Turtle Rock needs. So he could be in go mode if it needs the exact same medallion that he already has, or he could not be in go mode if Turtle Rock turns out to need Bombos, and we have yet to find Bombos. Uh, another yeah. small distinction that you might want to make uh, that Rick also mentioned, uh, are you a newer runner or are you a veteran runner? So... For veteran runners, silver arrows are probably never going to be a go mode consideration because they know, hey, I can do silver less cannon, it's going to be annoying, but I can do it just fine, not a problem. And the other part is, if you don't know how to do silver less cannon, you can get into Ganon's fight and find out where they are when he tells you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If you're not too concerned about your time. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, there might be considerations. Uh, lamp is another good one, as Rick mentioned. Uh, if you know how to do dark rooms, you might not consider a lamp your, a go mode item. But if you're relying on the lamp to light your way, you definitely need to find it first. So that's one of your go mode items. And then there's, of course, the, uh, the hovering case, where uh, if Swamp is not uh, a crystal dungeon, you, uh, and you can hover, you don't need to worry about that hookshot. Yeah. So generally, I mean, the um, what we've sort of did with all of our past episodes talking about dungeons, you know, one of the first things we talked about in each of those features is what is required to get all of the items in it. And there's a reason we did that. That's sort of something you'll you'll need to know. And that's something you're going to want to keep on continuing to learn is, you know, when you think about a dungeon, there should be a short list of items that pop into your mind of like, okay, if this is a crystal... Uh, then I need these items. You know, like if Swamp is a crystal, then I need the mirror, I need the flippers, um, I need the hookshot, I need the hammer. Like those kind of items need to pop up into your head. Um, And that's how you'll know you're in go mode. Once you've seen where the crystals are, 
um, and you've assessed the items that are needed to get all of those crystals, once you have the last one on that list, you're in go mode. Now, there are exceptions that, you know, we've sort of laid out. Uh, you know, some things are not 100% required depending on how good you are. Some things uh, might pop up and end up being against tower, you know, like Rick said, with, with the boots, that could end up being a problem. But generally, you need to know what items can uh, are needed to finish which dungeons to truly know what you need to be in go mode. So that's a great question um, and, and something we can probably elaborate on a little bit more in the future. But for now, I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Go Mode. Um, I want to once again thanks, uh, thank Adirondack Rick for joining us. Thank you so much, Rick, for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for letting me talk about this. Absolutely. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, if you have like a Twitter or Twitch you want to plug, now's the time. I, my Twitch is Adirondack Rick, and if you want to go ahead and follow me on Twitter, it's uh, 80KRick. Thanks a lot to the person who actually has the Adirondack Rick <laughs> name that prevents me from getting that. Uh, but uh, just once again, if you're interested in doing commentary, don't forget, we got a whole bunch of daily races. Uh, they'll get back to their normal schedule of being every Monday through Friday at 2 o'clock and 9 o'clock Eastern uh, daylight time uh once we get to september at the end of the sg live qualifiers obviously that's dating this episode a little bit but uh there that's when they normally are uh be sure to follow the uh get onto the sg uh discord i'll go ahead and give a link to that here so we can put that in the description in, in the event that you're looking to perhaps get into doing commentary and don't worry you know if your first time is iffy we'll, we'll help you with that yeah awesome um, so that's how you can get in touch with Rick, uh, for go mode podcast. You guys probably know all this before email at go mode podcast.com. You've, you've heard all this, uh, join our discord, find us on Twitter at go mode podcast. Um, yeah, you guys know all that. I did want to take a quick moment to thank folks who, uh, responded to our question last episode and shared their experiences of how they found go mode podcast and how they listened to it. Um, we had some people pop up in our discord and share with us, uh, Phileon. Vert, Zylo Price, and uh, Boodoo popped in uh, from Lurk Mode to give us a nice message, let, let us know that they're listening. So thank you, Boodoo. We love, we love to hear from the, the silent masses, um, so, we, so we know you're there. <laughs> that is much appreciated. Um, the masses. The silent masses. That's what they are, you know? Uh-huh. The, it's, it's those people that show up on our listener count that we never hear from, and we love you, and it's, it's totally okay that you do that. I, I just love to hear from you every now and then, you know? <laughs> like like you know call your mother um <laughs> also wanted to uh, give a shout out to ultra lavos for leaving us a very nice itunes review uh we're at 24 we're one away from me being able to reach my personal goal of getting 25 to the end of the year who will give us that 25th i wonder and will it be you um so if you want to leave that review for us we sure would appreciate it um, if you want to watch Herf play Randomizer or stream, you can do so at twitch.tv slash herfydurfy. If you want to watch Axial, you can do that at twitch.tv slash sa underscore Axial. And you can watch me play at twitch.tv slash temp underscore. Um, and you can also watch Go Mode podcast events. I won't say uh, mentor tournament stuff, but there might be some other stuff that happens there. Twitch.tv slash Go Mode podcast. And finally, uh, I will link our YouTube channel where you can see some of the past races from the mentor tournament. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And I think that is going to do it from us uh, for us here. So again, thank you to Rick. Thanks for joining us. Thank you to all of you for listening. And uh, as Dylan recommended, let's keep on 
mirroring out.